Good morning. We would like to invite you to have your Bible ready in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 1. Paul wrote to Christians in Colossae and in two previous classes we have introduced the study of Colossians and we have focused on the opening lines. In a moment I'll read and we will study together Colossians 1 verses 3 through 8. We'll do that immediately after prayer. Heavenly Father, we express to thee our desire to learn more and to do more as disciples of Christ. Help us to concentrate and participate effectively and with our heart determined to live by what we learn. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There are some things you do not have to have to be a Christian. You don't have to have lots of money. You don't have to be loaded with all kinds of talent. You don't have to become a scholar. You don't have to be popular, gregarious, overbearing, or extravagant. But there are three things you absolutely have to have to be a Christian. Faith, love, and hope. Listen, please, in Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before, in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, in its bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. The Apostle Paul was a man filled with gratitude, but not only filled with gratitude to God, he was not reluctant to express that gratitude to God and to others. I believe Paul was a man of deep and sincere warmth for Christians, even those he had never seen face to face. Speaking also for Timothy, he said in the passage we've read, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul prayed for them, and in those prayers, there was always a strong element of gratitude. We always thank God. This is part of the total character of the man, the Apostle Paul. This gratitude, this incessant praying that he did to God for people, and this interest in saying to Christians to encourage them, we are praying for you. 
Today, we should have such a heart that expresses itself in gratitude and goodwill, and we should never hesitate to say to people, I'm praying for you. And when people say to us, we are praying for you, we ought not to ever take that lightly. It ought never to become just a mere formality or collection of words that we habitually say. Such warmth and devotion as is displayed by the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, 3-8 ought to be a part of our heart toward God and toward each other. It should not be limited to those men who were apostles and inspired evangelists in the first century. In expressing this gratitude to the Christians in Colossae, Paul brought up three things that ought to be prominent in the lives of Christians. Faith, love, and hope. He put it this way. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. And then in verse 5, the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Now, this is not the only place in the New Testament where these three things are connected. They are associated over and over again in the New Testament. And if you have a good reference Bible, it may be that on that page, on Colossians 1, maybe in a footnote or over in a center column somewhere, there will be a reference to many other places where these three things are collected together. I'm not going to read all these, but if you want to make a list or you want to simply be impressed by how many times these three things occur side by side, here's a list. Galatians 5, 5 and 6, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, Romans 5, verses 1 to 5, Colossians 1, 4 and 5 that I've just read, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 8, Hebrews 6, 10 to 12, and there are others. Many, many times when the Holy Spirit gave teaching to the writers to reveal and record for us, these three things are connected, faith, love, and hope. And this is why I said to you in my introductory remarks, you can be a Christian without lots of money. You don't have to have a whole resume loaded with talent. You don't have to acquire the esteem and popularity of hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people, etc. But there must be these three things, faith, love, and hope. They may not be present in duplicate proportions from person to person. By that I mean you may not have identical faith with people who have had more experience and time to grow. If someone was baptized Monday a week ago, they may not have the same level of faith that you have if you were baptized 50 years ago. 
So faith, love, and hope may not appear in exactly the same proportion person to person, but in whatever individual measure that depends on experience and growth and so forth, these essentials must be there. They must be there from baptism and then expanding and making progress and growing from there all of your life. Faith, love, and hope. So let's go back now and talk about each one for just a moment or two. Faith is your confidence. Not self-confidence. Faith is your confidence that everything about God and His Son that you read about in this book is absolutely true and therefore it is worthy of the commitment of your life from now on. And any kind of self-confidence that you may imagine that you have, it needs to be subordinate to and it needs to flow from your confidence in God and in His Son and in everything the Holy Spirit has revealed about what you need to do in your relationship with God. Confidence. Now, there's evidence all around us upon which to base such confidence. There's evidence all around us of order, of higher creative and eternal intelligence. Paul wrote of this in Romans 1 verse 20. He said, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. He added, being understood by the things that are made. So we are compelled by the evidence all around us, concluding there is a God and we seek to know about Him. And so we go to His book, we go to the Bible, and we discover additional evidence that this is His Word. Men could not have compiled such a thing on their own, from their own mental resources. We discover not only in the world around us, but in this book, we discover order and purpose and plan. And it all fits together and it becomes the groundwork of evidence upon which we build our faith and feed our faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10:17. When Brother Garner was here, he spoke to us clearly in one of his sermons about faith based on God-given evidence. You remember that sermon about Thomas? That was all about faith based on <clears throat> God-given evidence. That's what this is about in Colossians 1. Paul says to the Christians in Colossae, I'm thankful to God that you have this. You have this faith. Faith is our confidence that it's all true. That God had a plan and he carried out that plan over a long period of time, meticulously governing every part of his plan, leading to the coming of Christ into the world. In the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, God gave a way for us to be saved from our sin and to live right and go to heaven. Faith is our personal confidence that all of this is true. Now, 
This is not just an intellectual or a mental process whereby data is accessed and received into the brain. Faith in the New Testament sense is more than that. It is not just receiving evidence and drawing a conclusion. It is receiving evidence and drawing a conclusion and then it's acting upon that conclusion. It's responding to what that conclusion compels you to do. And that response is called obedience. So evidence is received... A conclusion is drawn about who God is and what He's done and what the Lord has done on the cross and what we ought to do. And as we process that evidence and arrive at this conclusion, we are not finished. It leads to response, obedience to God. For example, when Paul preached the gospel, it wasn't just to present evidence so people would draw some conclusion. It was to present evidence to lead people to the conclusions about what God had done in Christ. And then he urged his listeners to act on those conclusions, to obey. You can read in the book of Acts, the apostles commanding people, after they delivered evidence leading to conclusions, commanding people to respond, to repent and be baptized, to obey. And then after baptism, to walk in newness of life and to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So faith is our confidence that everything about the gospel is true. But it's not just a matter of holding right conclusions or positions. It is ultimately about responding, right living in response to the gospel. One cannot be a Christian without faith. You don't have to have lots of money, lots of talent, be popular and be well known and have likes of tens of thousands of people on social media, but you have to have faith. You have to acquire it from the right source. You have to keep it and nourish it And you have to act upon it. Participating in Bible classes like this and listening to preaching from the Bible is a process of feeding your faith. And as you open the Bible every day, you're doing your daily Bible reading, aren't you? That's feeding your faith. And it leads to right conclusions and then right responses to God. Questions or comments about faith? Yes, ma'am. That's right. The very point that Bubba made in the meeting, faith is not just a vacuum out here, something that you latch on to without being connected to anything. It comes from the evidence God has provided, leads to the right conclusions, and then to right living. Further, Paul knew about their love for all the saints. The faith we've been talking about comes from the right source, leads to right conclusions, and then right living. That faith has a variety of products. And one of the products of good active faith is love for all the saints. Once you become convinced of the truth of the gospel, 
you embrace the right conclusions about what God has done for you. And that leads to right responses of obedience to God. That faith with its obedience leads to a variety of good products. And one is love for all the saints. Let me use another way to approach that. I believe I can say to you, hatred or malice cannot survive in a heart occupied with genuine faith. Hatred and malice cannot long survive in a heart where genuine faith is. <clears throat> if you believe in God and you accept all the claims of Christ and you're acting on that to the best of your ability as faith is generated and as faith grows, hatred is better identified when it wants to get in and it's purged from your mind. One cannot exist in the soil of the other. It is incongruent to say, here is a heart of genuine faith in God and somewhere in there with it there's hatred and malice. That's inconsistent. That doesn't follow at all. To the extent that you are a genuine believer in Christ, to that extent, hatred cannot thrive. When hatred tries to enter, it will be identified and expelled. And where hatred finds no home, love finds a healthy place. In this case, a love for all the saints. In 1 Peter 1.22 Peter said, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So you receive evidence that God has provided in nature and in Scripture. The evidence leads to right conclusions and right understandings and that leads to obedience and within that obedience there's this product of love. And when hatred tries to intrude upon your heart, faith and love will identify it and expel it. Faith, love, tell me what the third one is. Hope. Well, I guess it's up there in front of you and on the page in front of you. Listen to verses 3 through 5 and listen to how this is all woven together. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Well, you can look at this in the same way we looked at love. Here is another product of faith. Can there be hope where there is no faith? See, these things all go together. They're connected. You cannot have one in its genuine essence without the other two. So you can look at this hope as another product of faith. 
When I'm convinced there is a God and I'm convinced of what the New Testament says about the claims of Christ and the commands of Christ, and as my faith acts on those commands, one product is hope. Let's define hope. It is a combination of two things. Desire and expectation. Hope in the New Testament combines two things. Desire and expectation. When you desire something good in the future and you expect to see that desire fulfilled, that's hope. The gospel gives us all the right desires about the future. And as our faith in Christ becomes active, what we have is solid expectation that that hope's going to be realized. So it's not just desire by itself. Well, you know how we say sometimes, I hope everything comes out all right. And sometimes we pretty much know it might not. That's not New Testament hope in this particular context. You desire something good in the future that God has promised about what's going to happen after death and after the world here ends. You have that desire and because of the activity of your faith in Christ, you have expectation that that desire will be realized. People of faith desire to spend eternity with God. The gospel heard, believed, and obeyed gives substance to that good desire. Let me say that again and then I'm going to plug a familiar text into it. People of faith desire to spend eternity with God. The gospel, heard, believed, and obeyed, gives substance to that good desire. Hebrews 11.1 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It all connects Together, C.S. Lewis said, hope is a continual looking forward to the eternal future. Now, he went on to say, you really cannot see that eternal future clearly or have any reason to expect it unless you're living by faith. He's helping us connect the dots here. The hope that we're talking about here is the hope of faith Faith that produces love as well. Now, observe how the Christians in Colossae came to have this hope. It wasn't that a Colossian citizen was walking along the street one day and suddenly said, I felt something. It's hope. No, it wasn't like that at all. How did they have this hope? Where did they get this hope? Verse 5 says they heard about it through gospel preaching. They heard about it through gospel preaching. So they heard the gospel, believed it, obeyed the gospel, being buried with Christ in baptism. One product of that active faith was hope. So you have these three beautiful things combined. Faith, love, and hope. And that's what Paul knew about these people because he'd been talking to Epaphras. That's what he knew about these people. And he was thankful to God. And he wanted them to know, I'm praying for you, that that faith, love, and hope will continue and will increase. And of course, that's what God wants to see 
in each one of us. A couple of other phrases in this section need some attention before I get to our takeaways. I want you to look at that phrase in verse 6, which conveys to us the idea of growth or progress. Here's the phrase, bearing fruit and growing. Bearing fruit and growing. If you're involved in this, the faith and hope and love that you have today is not identical to what you had 10 years ago. Or maybe two weeks ago. Because it moves in this direction. And God intends it to all move in this direction. Not stagnant. And not in this direction. But God intends that faith, hope, and love move in this direction. And that's the phrase, bearing fruit and growing. There's nothing about faith, love, and hope that's static they do not stand alone and they do not stand still. Faith, love, and hope. They do not stand alone and they do not stand still. They grow together as we pursue faithfulness to God. And then, before my takeaways, I wanted to say a little bit about this man. Epaphras. I tell you what happens to me as I read through the Bible, and maybe it happens to you as well. You come to a variety of characters, and the text only gives you a sentence or two. And you say to yourself immediately, I'd sure like to know that person better. I don't have but a couple of sentences, maybe a paragraph or a sentence here and a sentence there. I would sure like to know that person better. Well, that says something, doesn't it? Sometimes you meet someone only momentarily, but you see such good in them. One of your immediate thoughts is, I'd like to know that person better. Is that what people say about me and about you? When we meet people just momentarily, we don't have time to build a long-term friendship. We may just see them once. Sometimes we meet people here at the building. We see them one, once or twice, and they travel on to where they're headed. Well, that's the way I feel about Epaphras. I'd like to know more about this man. He was at least one of their teachers, perhaps a preacher located there or gave them continued instruction from the Lord. Maybe involved in some other sort of employment, but gave them continued instruction from the Lord. But Paul did not tell them to follow Epaphras. And Epaphras did not tell them to follow Paul or Timothy. Paul acknowledges the good work of this man without exalting the man. And then Paul goes on to spend much more time talking to them about Jesus Christ, deity in the flesh, Christ and him crucified, the head of the body. So our curiosity about Epaphras must be subordinate to our absorbing the truth about Jesus Christ and abiding in Him. 
In our studies in 1 Corinthians this year, we are aware of the danger of following men. Letting human loyalty tear us up individually and collectively. Paul had this very righteous ability to commend someone briefly, to acknowledge someone's good work without writing a four-page resume, and without making them an idol, and keeping people focused on the Lord. We're going to see that more and more in 1 Corinthians in the sermon series I'm delivering this year. And you see it here. Paul says Epaphras, obviously a pretty good man, did some good things. But acknowledge him and then go on to who it's all about. Jesus Christ. So, take away time, but listen again. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Well, I've got several takeaways, but I want to give you an opportunity first. Anything you saw there that we didn't bring up you'd like to mention in Colossians 1, 3 through 8. Yes, ma'am. Might have been located there. It seems like it from 412. All right, takeaways. Colossians 1, 3 through 8. We're going to get to our takeaways. Very obviously, fortify your faith. If through Bible study and self-examination, I discover that I'm deficient in my love for all the saints or my hope of heaven, one of the first things I should do is fortify my faith. Now let me say that again because what I'm saying makes these three connections. If through Bible study and self-examination I discover I'm deficient in love for all the saints, or my hope, one of the first things I should do is go back to the groundwork and fortify my faith. I need to be firm in my commitment to read the Bible and apply it to my life and pray about it. I need to worship in spirit and in truth. I need to take advantage of every good influence, closely monitor my priorities day by day, watch my attitudes, be clear that I'm in that upward movement of growth. If I'm deficient in love or hope, I should always go back to the foundation, to the groundwork, and that's faith. Daily Bible reading, another opportunity to plug that good practice. Number two, I thought about this. Faith is what draws us together in love and hope. If I fall from the faith, one of the first evidences will be my attraction for people of faith will diminish. 
You ever seen that? I bet you have. You see somebody who has good solid faith in Christ and activity, but it's not growing. It begins to take a spiral in the downward direction and they fall from the faith into sin, start making excuses. And one of the signs is they find the people of faith less attractive. Don't want to be around them. And they also may find love and hope diminishing. It is faith that draws us together in love and hope. And so when our faith suffers or diminishes or goes away, it has an obvious impact on our unity and our affection and our service one to another. Three, I thought I might say a little more about hope. The hope we have as Christians is not a tentative thing. It is not a tentative thing. It is not a subjective thing. For example, the way we use the word hope. You might go to a a party or a social event or something and say, well, I hope to see my friends there. And there may be no substance for that. There may be no reason for that, no basis for it. Sometimes we use the word hope tentatively. Or we use the word hope in a subjective sense. Or sometimes we use it merely to be expectation or desire without any basis for it. The hope that fills us as Christians and motivates us is far more than a tentative, subjective wish or something. <clears throat> it has reality <clears throat> based on the historical truth of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, listen to verse 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now this is not hope out in some sort of a vacuum isolated that stands alone. It says, for since we believe... That Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Same idea, by the way, is found in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. These things are connected. So we believe firmly what God has done in Christ. And therefore, we have hope that is more than a tentative wish. The promise of a glorious eternity with God is not a tentative subjective expectation. It is a living hope that is unhindered by the unbelief and the sin that is all around us. Anything else? It's not a vision test. I just wanted to get everything on one page. I'll tell you what this is about. There is a striking resemblance when you compare especially Colossians and Philippians in the opening section 
you have striking resemblances and even to some extent in some of the other epistles. Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, not so much in Galatians because in Galatians Paul is concerned immediately with those who had departed from the gospel. But even in 1 Corinthians where Paul is identifying issues in the local church, there is, a, there is a warmth on the part of Paul toward Christians that resembles, uh, uh, that, that you find resemblances of when you compare the epistles. The author is deeply interested in his recipients. He's not just an information dispenser. He's deeply interested in his recipients. He loves them. He not only wants to correct, he wants to encourage. He traces every virtue back to God. You ever notice that? He traces every virtue back to God. Colossians 1, 2, second phrase, grace to you and peace, what's it say? From God our Father. He traces every virtue to God. Paul is a man filled with gratitude. Colossians 1, 23 and 24 uh, in Philippians 3, 4 to 14, many places show the warmth and gratitude that Paul has in his heart. And in all these epistles, in doing good for people, it is necessary to identify and encourage virtues and identify and discourage vices. But it's not just coming from a man who's an information machine. There is warmth for his recipients. So notice that striking resemblance as you do your Bible reading, especially in the New Testament epistles. So on Wednesday night, we will continue at verse 9 in Colossians chapter 1. Thank you very much.